Recorded live in the Phantasmo Lounge high atop the Jack Death Building in beautiful Midtown Chesapeake, Virginia, it's Phantasmo After Dark with your host, Rob Floyd, and co-host, Phyllis Floyd. Tonight's topic, Fade to Black. Eric Benford lives for the movies. Sometimes he kills for them, too. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the old podcast. Hey, Phyllis. Hey, Rob. Tonight, we're going to be talking about, uh, again, another one I'm surprised we haven't talked about before. <laughs> so, is that just our new tagline? I think it Another is. one we haven't talked about before, and I, we're surprised. Well, it's one, you know, it's been around. It, it was in 1980. Uh, the movie's Fade to Black. And it's one that I've, I haven't seen, God, in probably 20 years. But I've thought about it over the years. Something would come up and remind me of it, you mm-hmm. know. And um, I think, you know, when I saw it, I had it on VHS and probably before, you know, before we met. Mm-hmm. So it, it's been a little while. Well, now we have it on Blu-ray. Yes, a v- very nice copy from Vinegar Syndrome on Blu-ray. From what? Vinegar Syndrome is the company. Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah. And it's cool. that It's one of the Blu-ray. Um, it has new art for the cover. Mm-hmm. But you can take it out and flip it over. It has the original poster art. Oh, that's cool. So, you know, if you... Whichever one you like. And this one is actually one of the ones where I, I kind of like the new poster art. Hmm. It's really pretty cool. You'll have to post pictures of it on yeah. the Facebook page. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I don't want to say it's a notorious movie, but it's one of those that a lot of people have heard of, but maybe have never seen mm-hmm. type of thing. Well, I had never seen it until we just watched it. Yeah. And it's, uh, if, you're, if you're a film nut, you know, or cinephile, this is kind of a, a cool movie for you because it's, it's the story of this guy, Eric Benford, played by Dennis Christopher. And he's this nerdy, cinephile. psycho cinephile, yeah, to where he has a 16 millimeter projector in his room and his walls and his house and his rooms are covered in movie posters and stills and all kinds of memorabilia. And he'll dress as some of the characters while he's watching movies in his room. And he works at a film distribution company during the day. And so he's he's in the business, kind of, you know. Right. But he loves old movies. He loves James Cagney, Richard Widmark, Lugosi, Chaney, uh, Hopalong Cassidy, all the classic stuff. From... And especially Marilyn. And he loves Marilyn Monroe. Yes, he does. <laughs> Which figures into the story. Indeed. But the story it starts off, we find he's living at his aunt's house, and she's a shrew in a wheelchair and blames Blames him for her and her sister's act breaking up because her sister got pregnant. And then, I don't know, she had, what, she got in an accident or something? Yeah, well, he was four and apparently sick and the babysitter called her and there must have been an accident on the way for her to come pick him up because she then ended up in a wheelchair oh, yeah. and could no longer dance. She was a dancer. Yeah, so she's hateful to him and makes his existence living hell and it's just the two of them living there. So he's dealing with that, and then he goes to work, and people at work treat him like crap. But, yeah, you know, to be fair. <laughs> he's he's pretty... He's kind of out there, a little, little well, psychotic I mean, and... He is, and in all honesty, I mean, he is a bit of a slacker. He gets to yeah. work late, he doesn't do a good job, he's not really trying. Yeah. I mean... He, I get that he lives the petty in his... cash. For yeah, I mean, he business. lives in his own world, and, you know... I certainly understand the whole living in your own world and, and, you know, kind of losing yourself in the movies and whatever. We certainly do that ourselves. Oh, yeah. 
but we know that you have to live a real life too. Yeah, you got to pay the bills and you got to be, you know, <laughs> be decent to people. I mean, yeah. So this guy doesn't. I mean, he's nice to select few people. Yeah. And everybody else, he's just not. Yeah, and he and he is a little bit of a creeper here and there. Yeah, and he does like slip in and out of his psychosis a little yes, bit. Yes, definitely. But he's harmless so far. So far, yeah. Um, I mean, he he definitely needs help. I think that if this poor guy had been given some mental help, he probably would have been okay. Yeah, but... well, if his aunt wasn't a complete shrew, I keep going yeah, back to that no the whole kidding. time. Why don't you live in the real world with the rest of us? And you actually learn... Battering him the whole time. Right. You actually learn later in the film that his aunt had given him this story the whole time that uh, his mother died in childbirth and, and thrust him upon her. Yeah. And so that's why she had to raise him and blah, blah, blah. But it turns out that she was actually his mother. Yeah. So she's a bit of a psycho, and too. And she lied to him the whole time. Yeah. So he comes by it honestly. Yeah, right. But along the way, people wrong him throughout throughout the movie a little yeah. more. And he gets his revenge on them. As the movie goes on. And that's the basic And it's plot not really movie. just a revenge picture, though. You make it no. sound way more sympathetic oh, no, 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 than no. it is. Yeah, he gets his revenge, but it's a lot more to it than that. Towards the beginning, he meets this girl who looks like Marilyn Monroe, and mm -hmm. she wants to be an actress. And so he kind of, she's real nice to him. Wants to be a model, I think. Yeah, wants to be a model or and whatever. Goes to, wants to go to Hollywood. She's real nice to him, and she kind of flirts with him and seems to think he's cute. So they make a date to go to the movies, and... He drops her off at her work, gives her a ride back to her work, and then he goes home, and they're going to go that, out that night. Later that night, he's getting all dressed up to go out, and she's completely forgotten about it, and has gone to dinner with a guy she works with, and then halfway through the dinner, she realizes, oh, crap, I was supposed to meet this guy. I'm I'm over an hour late. She's like two hours late. I've got to go. Yeah. And, and he, she rushes over there, yeah. expecting him to still be waiting. Yeah, like, like he's going to be there, even though he did wait over an hour, though. He did. But then he started walking down the street, walking away. So, and then they don't meet again. Right. Well, it kind of. Other things happen. A couple guys he works with, he makes a bet with them about... Uh, a Casablanca trivia thing. Yeah, and... Then they don't... They don't get the trivia question and so they're supposed to pay him but they never do and so he tries to get paid and they uh -huh. just give him shit and Benford is he's sick in the head he's like retarded or something I mean it's all kinds of little stuff like yeah, this little stuff and it keeps building and his boss at work just is on his case the whole time but to be fair like you said he's not giving anything to the work I mean the right. boss is on his case for legitimate reasons but he just goes off on him yeah I mean it sounds like his boss is is pretty high strung yeah I can't picture the creature who'd want to marry you. Tell me, who is this unlucky girl? And probably pretty rough anyway, but I mean, he Yeah, well, he's got heart issues. Do, yeah. yeah, but he doesn't do anything to... Help. Help it. Yeah. yeah. He causes his boss to yell at him. Yeah. I think the first... Well, the first kill is his aunt. Yeah. She comes in his room and, and knocks his projector over while he's watching a movie and he starts to flip out because she hurt his projector and then she rolls out of the room and says, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and, and keeps going and he snaps kind of and starts acting like J Jimmy Cagney and he comes up behind her and he hits something on her wheelchair. I think he just gives her a push. No, because she keeps doing the control. She's I can't stop it. It won't. Yeah, like well, it, I don't know if he pulled a wire or whatever. He yeah. Did. Anyway, know. it causes her to go forward. She's just going to the door to the outside. Yeah. And she gets 
through the door and the wheelchair turns and she goes down the steps. Yeah, and she falls and dies. Yeah, and he just kind of walks out there and watches it happen. And then cackles this really, yeah. really weird... Like, like James Cagney yeah. is what he's trying to be. But, but then the uh, scene where he goes he goes back in the house and goes in his bathroom, he's looking in the mirror and kind of gives kind of a maniacal kind of grin. But then all of a sudden he hears people outside like, oh my God, what happened? Oh, we got to call the police. Oh, I think she's dead. And then he kind of realizes, you can see his face kind of change. His face just changes. He realizes that she's dead or whatever. And he starts to almost throw up and retch and he sinks down to the bathroom floor. Yeah. I'll tell you, Dennis Christopher, right? Yeah. Anderson? He does an amazing job. Oh, he plays with this. Yeah, he's he comes across at first as really nerdy and kind of annoying, mm-hmm. but you feel like okay, this poor guy, he's socially awkward, you know. And he, but then he goes to this psychosis where you see him flip and go in and out of. Yeah, he does so much just in facial expressions. Mm-hmm. He just really pulls this off. He does a yeah. great job. The neck and okay, so that's the first one that he didn't. Re- Technically, he didn't kill her. Yeah. It happened, and he just kind of snapped and reveled in it. The next one, he's, uh, which is the iconic shot from the poster and the box art of him in the Dracula makeup. Mm-hmm. And this is a beautiful shot of, you see his, oh, and by the way, the film is shot great. Oh, it's it, gorgeous. It's really. The music is outstanding. Oh, the music, we'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> um, but the way it's shot, it's really kind of a an early 70s feel to yeah. the filmmaking. It was, sure. it was the 1980s when it came out, but it's when they were making those gritty 70s New York kind of movies, mm-hmm. but this is in L.A. So it feels like that. But this is a great shot. You see the right side of his face, and you see him using a makeup brush yeah. on the other side. Right, so you've and got then, him in profile. Yeah, so then he slowly turns to the camera, and it's split down the middle, just like Two-Face. Yeah. He's done Dracula makeup on the other side, Legosi-like makeup. Mm-hmm. And he's, he slowly turns to the camera and then slowly turns to where he's in profile the other way. So you see it looks like his face is completely made up. Yeah. Beautiful shot. It was gorgeous. It was one of the best shots in the movie. Almost chilling because he starts to grin a little bit partially yeah. through in the middle of the turn. Yeah. It, it's a true transformation. It's yeah. really cool. And he goes to see a showing of Night of the Living Dead. And there's other people kind of dressed up there. Now, oh, here's something about this movie. There's things that happen between scenes that we don't see. Right. But we get told about through the conversation that this happened. Mm-hmm. So some things, it does kind of jump. You're like, wait, wait, how did, what happened? How did he get here? Did they even do see this or talk? And it comes about, you got to kind of just pick up on it. After this scene He's back at work. Uh, the two guys who were picking on him say, "Hey, you know, says there were a hundred people dressed up as Dracula. Is that movie marathon doing? Like, were you there?" And we didn't know there was a movie marathon. <laughs> you know, right. that's not pointed out at all. But you know, that's what happened. Yeah, and well, and actually, we're watching that, wondering like, why is he dressed like the ghosty Dracula, going to see Night of the Living Dead? Yeah, and I was like, well, maybe it's Halloween, and we just don't know yeah. it. <laughs> now the second kill. Got to backtrack a little bit. When he was jilted by the Maryland girl for the movie date, he was waiting for the bus. Yeah. And he's, there's a hooker on the street and he's asking her just innocently, hey, do you know when the next bus is coming? And she gets shitty with him. Yeah. She's like, leave me alone, kid. Yeah. I'm, I'm working here. And then he goes, well. He's like, oh, are you working? Where do you work? Yeah. What do you do? And then, and then she said, basically says she's a hooker. He said, oh, okay. Well, well, how about me? I've got 10 bucks. And she gives him shit for just being only 10 bucks. And Yeah. So she kind of is an ass to him and goes on. So anyway, after the Dracula, after he leaves the movie theater, still as Dracula, he approaches this hooker. Yeah. And 
very pretty... suave. Oh, he yeah. really takes on the characters he's playing. Yeah, he, he becomes the characters. <laughs> she doesn't recognize him. So he starts chasing her down the, the street, this side street, and she's running and flipping out, and she ends up slipping on this kid's toy and falling on this uh, white picket fence, and one of the posts stabs her through the neck. And, you know, that was kind of kind of cool, because it's like, looked like he was just trying to scare her, and yeah. then she ends up killing herself on this fence. By accident. By accident. Yeah, and but, I, don't, I don't think he intended to kill her. No. I really don't. I mean, he was chasing her, but I yeah. think it was really just... Well, like he didn't have said, any weapons or anything. No, I think it really was just to to scare her and to I don't know yeah. to maybe get her back. But yeah, so she yeah. dies, and he so he leans down there, and he's, he he it's like turns he's, her over, and you can see the thing sticking out yeah. the side of her neck, and there's a little blood, and he touches. It's almost like he's trying to check her pulse down yeah, there, yeah, see if she's okay. And then he gets a little blood on his finger. And he kind of looks at it for a second, and then he very slowly, like hesitantly, then he tastes it. Yeah, and then he like becomes Dracula in his head, and he leans down and starts sucking the blood out of the wound. Yep. And that was kind of creepy because I wasn't expecting that. No, I wasn't either. You know? That was bizarre. So that that was done. And he comes up and he's got blood all over his mouth. Not like Lugosi, more like Christopher Lee. <laughs> uh, which, during some of the scenes where he's talking about movies or acting like the person, it, it switches back and forth between the actual movie he's mimicking. Yeah, they use and then, clips. Like, that's what's in his head. And then back to the reality of what he's doing. And when he's doing the Lugosi makeup, they flip to scenes from Horror of Dracula with Christopher Lee, but they've changed them to black and white. That movie was in color. That's because they Universal wouldn't give them the rights to use the Dracula footage, but they did give them the rights to use the creature footage. Really weird. Yeah, it was very bizarre. So that's why they had to do that. But the, the shots of Christopher Lee are very quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't linger on them. So. Yeah. So that's the first two kills. Now the next one is on purpose. Yeah, for the sure. Two, the two guys that... We're giving him shit at work. They've gone down to the boardwalk, and they're they're trying to get laid. Yeah, they're trying to get laid. So they they win a couple prizes and steal a couple prizes from the the games, the throw the ball at the can games and yeah. things. And then they're walking down this kind of alley, and it's a really cool. It's almost Exorcist lit. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. It's backlit. He you hear the clink clink like of spurs walking yeah, spurs. in cowboy boots in this mist. This figure comes silhouette walking out of this mist, and it's Hopalong Cassidy. Yeah. It's Eric made up as Hopalong Cassidy. And he's got a total face mask on that yeah, looks so like Hopalong. Yeah. yeah. Which this is the only time. Everything else he makes up, he's just got... It's him. Made makeup. Up. Just, yeah. you know, uh, grease paint makeup. Yeah. But this is the only one where it's completely a face mask covering his face. You can't tell who it is. Right. And this scene uh, is... It starts off kind of fun where they're having fun. Hey, it's Hopalong Cassidy. And well, I think he's calling you out. Hopalong Cassidy. He slides a gun over to him and says, draw, partner. And he's it's just, a little pop gun. And you can tell you it's can a cap gun. You can see the little, yeah. You oh, see. and one of the guys I forgot to mention is Mickey Rourke. Oh, right. He's very young Mickey Rourke. And I'll go over the cast in a second. So Mickey Rourke, he puts the, the gun in his belt and he says, Hoppy says, draw. And he, Mickey Rourke puts the gun and he goes, pop, 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 pop. You know, and he goes, ha, ha. And... Then uh, Hoppy pulls his gun out and shoots at the ground. It's a dance it's or something. Dance. The other guy runs off. He gets Mickey Rourke down on his knees and then he shoots him a few times. Yep. And it, there at the very end, just before he shoots him, he realizes who it is. That it's really Eric. Yeah. Not Hopalong, obviously. So that one was completely on purpose. And then he just yeah. turns around and walks, walks away. Walks back into the mist. Yeah. yeah. It's a great shot. Like I said, the whole movie is shot really well. Yeah. So at this point... We did get introduced to the police officers, like the Captain Gallagher and like this social worker guy 
earlier in the movie. Yeah, he's a doctor of psychology or whatever he is. Yeah, Tim I'm, I'm not exactly sure why they have him working in the police station. He's trying to help some of the younger offenders, I guess. Yeah, well, it's a know. program he wants to start, and the police are going along with it to try to keep people out of jail, get them into, into jobs, get them working yeah. and doing something instead of being on the street. If right. Repeat offenders, like, he wants to try to earn their trust and get them into something else yeah. to get them from repeating crimes. Right. So after the hop along thing, you see that the, the buddy that ran off and Eric end up at the police station uh, being questioned. Yeah. Well, we don't see that. We don't see the question. We see him coming. We just see leaving. him leaving. Yeah. And that's another one of those things where all that happened in between scenes. It wasn't necessary. Well, it would have, it might've been kind of interesting because Thomerson says to the female police officer that he's banging, that Eric guy, he was a little strange. He was a little weird, blah, blah, blah. And that could have been some neat scenes of them going back and forth and the stuff in Eric's in head, head while Tom, uh, while the doctor was asking him questions. Yeah. You know, that would have added more to his psychosis. And to see the doctor realizing that, well, this guy's a little odd. Like, yeah. I don't know if he's, I don't think he's a killer, but he's odd, you know, he's kind odd, of thing. Right. Yeah. So that, that starts the beginning of the end, so to speak, for, yeah. for Eric. So they now are kind of turned on to something's up with this guy. Yeah, now he's, the lady comes to deliver the mail to Eric's house, and he answers the door, and he's changed the name on the mailbox to Jarrett. Yeah. And his name's Benford, and he's even changed and put another street sign over his street sign on the corner. Yeah. Uh, I forget the name, uh, the street name, but, and he answers the door, and he says he's Cody Jarrett, which is Cagney's name from uh, White Heat, I think. Mm-hmm. And the street sign's the name of another a street from another movie but he's like he thinks he's that character right there yeah. and he slips out of it later and he's you know he slips in and out of these characters yeah i mean and how much he truly believes he's these characters and how much he doesn't i don't really know you know yeah now oh i forgot while he's dracula now he hasn't had any more contact with the maryland girl right but what after he kills the or the girl gets killed on the fence i guess he wipes the blood off his face mm-hmm and the Maryland girl's in her apartment, and she's taking a shower. And, oh, I forgot that yeah, part. And he goes in, a la Norman Bates, but he's dressed as Dracula. Yeah. And he pulls open the curtain, and he has, looks like a knife in his hand, and she screams, and he kind of screams, and he says, he drops it, and it's just an ink pen. Yeah. Or fountain pen. And he as he's running, he turns and runs away, and as he's running away, he says, oh, I wonder was your autograph. It was weird. really strange. Yeah, I don't. Understand. It's almost like they just wanted to film that Norman Bates scene. Yeah, and get her Psycho. naked. Yeah, which, and you know, get her naked. Hats That's off right. to him for that. Yeah, you know, because that was that was awesome. <laughs> but and it was it was shot well, like the Psycho sure, scene. Yeah, but him dressed as Dracula coming in, which in his room, I swear he has a mask that looks like Norman Bates's mom's face. Oh, weird. Uh, so I don't know why they didn't just add a quick thing of him going to do that. You know, I don't know. Yeah, that was. That was pretty strange. I'd forgotten about that scene completely because it just really didn't feel like it fit. I mean, it was a cool yeah. scene and it had some tension. You know, you kind of wondered, yeah. was he going to go kill her or whatever? But Dracula. But, now, but speaking Dracula, of yeah. tension, speaking of tension, the music in this, Craig Safan or Safin, I, don't, I can't remember how he pronounced his name. He did the, he was the composer of all the music in this. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about this while we were watching it, that, okay. When he's in the theater watching Night of the Living Dead. This is the best example. Yeah. 
the scene of the zombies coming up to the house and, you know, walking slow and eating and, and tearing guts out of people. I mean, we're seeing pretty much the, not the whole movie, obviously, but we're seeing Night of the Living Dead flashing back and forth between yeah. him and eating popcorn and Night of the Living Dead. And other people in the theater, their reactions to the scene. Yeah, yeah. And it's done very well. The cuts aren't quick. No. You know, and how many times have we seen Night of the Living Dead? Oh, hundreds. Hundreds. <laughs> okay, the original black and white, great film masterful film great you know it's can't say enough good things about it but i never felt like this on edge maybe the first time yeah maybe but this tense feeling of dread kind of watching it Mm -hmm. like it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. but this music that's playing during this scene in fade to black and the camera cutting back these people's reactions it was getting a little tense there it was it, it was it added, fantastic. Yeah, it added a completely new element yeah. to that movie. It Going was, back it was and forth crazy. to the people watching it, their reactions and the music. It, the building of the music was just amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, this guy who did the music also did music for Good Guys Were, uh, Good Guys Were Black, mm-hmm. the Chuck Norris movie, Corvette Summer, Roller Boogie, <laughs> The Last Starfighter. Oh. He also did the, not the song, but all the music for Cheers. Just the... However many hundreds of episodes they did. Interesting. All the incidental music and stuff. Uh, But he also did music for a movie that's near and dear to our hearts, Remo Williams. Really? Huh. That's awesome. (laughs) I love this guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, yeah... I can't say enough good things about the combination of the music and the cinematography in this movie. It's not the greatest film ever made, but it's no, but it definitely feels like a a much higher class film than it probably was. Yeah, it didn't get a big wide release. It didn't get a big premiere, and it, it was 1980, so it came in you know right after Halloween, but just before Friday the 13th. Yeah. Well, actually, now that you're bringing that up, it's probably a good time to to say who put this out. Well, the producer, the executive producer for this thing, Erwin Yablin, uh, he was executive producer for Halloween, was instrumental in getting that made. And wasn't that his, that was what, his second film that he produced? Yeah, he was opened up a company to distribute films, and the first one he distributed was a little movie by a young filmmaker named John Carpenter called Assault on Precinct 13. Right. And actually, Erwin Yablin came up with the title. It was originally called The Siege. Mm -hmm. But Assault on Precinct 13 is a much better title. It is. Uh, He also produced uh, Tourist Trap, Mm -hmm. the one we've talked about, Roller Boogie, Mm -hmm. and a couple of Halloween 2 and Halloween 3. Right. And a few other movies, but those those are the big ones. And one thing that's kind of cool in this movie, you do see, you see the posters. The poster in in uh, the boss's office. There's the poster for Halloween mm-hmm. and the poster for Tourist um, Trap. Tourist Trap, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not Roller Boogie, though. Surprisingly, one thing that bothered me about this movie <laughs> a lot what? was the water on the floor in the place where they store oh, all that film. God. <laughs> the warehouse that he works in that has all these cans of film on these these racks and these shelves. It's like the floor is. There's puddles of water everywhere. Like, I don't know if it's leaks or where it's coming from, but it's, oh, it hurts it's my just, head. I know. It makes my heart hurt. Yeah. <laughs> just to think about all that film that got lost because it wasn't stored properly. Because yeah. back in the day, it wasn't a thing. Yeah, it was just 
boom, put it wherever oh, you can. So sad. <laughs> Next, anyway, some of the other people in the movie was Dennis Christopher, like we said, the lead. Right. Mm-hmm. Tim Thomerson, you know, comedian. Uh, I've been tons of stuff. Norman Burton, uh, Mickey Rourke, Peter Horton, who was you, you'd recognize him in handful a, a bunch of stuff over the years. I think he actually got into producing directing too. Mm-hmm. One you won't recognize, uh, Gwen Guilford. I think she was the lady cop that Tim Thomerson oh, okay. friends. Mm-hmm. She was pregnant at the time of this. Hmm. So you see a lot of the things where, like when they're in bed, when the sheets are up high and stuff oh. like that. She was pregnant with her son, Chris Pine. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Look, he was on film before he even knew mm-hmm. it. <laughs> We're in the, talking about the plot. Yeah, he sees Marilyn in the shower. Right. And then he does the hoppy thing, kills those guys. Yeah. Then he goes, is that when he goes after his boss? Yeah, I think after that he goes after his boss, because uh, his boss fires him. Yeah, well, he goes back to the, the warehouse one night for something. I can't remember well, he what. Well, it's during the day he goes back. Or, yeah, during the day. The boss is pissed at him because he took the... Um, Vespa. Yeah, the Vespa scooter that's the company's to deliver. Yeah. And he'd been using it for a couple of days without asking, and so the boss gives him a lot of shit, and he gives him shit back, so the boss just fires him right there. Yeah. So he does his James Cagney on him and he leaves. Then that night... Yeah, the boss has to stay to clean up his mess with the books and everything. So he's staying. And that night, the mummy attacks him. Yeah. (laughs) And, of course, we already know from lots of previous exposure that his boss is due for surgery for his heart next week. And he's got a really bad heart. And he's taking lots of pills. And he's scared and he's stressed out and he has a heart attack. So he has a heart attack and dies. Yeah. Now, the cool thing about this, the mummy, the facial makeup is okay, but the costume looks really good, and it wasn't a costume, really. Yeah. Come to find out, and we watched the extras on, some of the extras on this Blu-ray disc, and said they ordered a costume from Western Costume. That's the costume house in Hollywood they get a lot of, you know, stuff from. And it said it arrived, it looked kind of like the Michelin Man that they just stained <laughs> and burned in That's places. Terrible. So it was just horrible. It looked like a cheap costume. Yeah. So the producer sent... Everybody he could out to all the drugstores or whatever and said, buy all the gauze you can. <laughs> and they wrapped him like a mummy. Mm-hmm. Took a couple of hours, but they made the mummy suit on him, which mm-hmm. and it, it looks, looks really it good. It looks great. It looks convincing, except for the face looks, you know, a little weird. Well, he said that the the rest of it was put together by uh, like gravel they got off the road. and <laughs> Yeah, they stained <laughs> yeah. it and dirtied it up and, yeah. you know, they right used there. iodine and tea and whatever yeah. to dye everything. It was crazy. So that looked cool. So then the mummy gets him. And then throughout this, there's bits of Tim Thomerson and the lady cop putting it together and figuring out who he mm-hmm. is and who the killer is. Yeah. Oh, we had forgotten about the uh, the producer guy. Oh, yeah. There's a little <laughs> subplot in here to, well, to kill another guy. Eric's waiting on the side of the road for the bus, I guess, and this producer in this beautiful He's hitchhiking. Old... Oh, is he hitchhiking yeah. at that point? Okay. This beautiful old... Roadster pulls up and says, Hop in, kid, where are you going? He says, oh, I'm just going to Venice Beach. He says, Okay, you know. And so they're driving and he's they're passing a funny cigarette back and forth. And, <laughs> and they just start talking about movies and Eric says, Oh, you're this you're that producer guy. I know you, knows knows his name, and he starts telling about this movie that he has an idea for. It was like Alabama and the Forty Thieves. Something like something that. Like yeah. the name of it. He tells him the plot. And the guy's like, hey, you got a real life or head for movies, kid. Give me tell a call me sometime. More. Yeah, tell me more. He tells him the whole plot. He says, well, give me a call sometime. Yeah, I'll get you in down on the set. So, or we'll have to do lunch or whatever he says. 
And he's like, really, really? Oh, that'd be great. Thank you, Mr. Producer, sir. Yeah, so he's really excited thinking he's got this big break and he's going to get a movie made. Then later on, he sees the producer on a talk show. I don't know how long this is after that. Passage of time is unclear. Yeah, it's not clear. But the producer is telling the talk show lady that he's going to do a new movie, a little different from the movies he's usually done, called Alabama and the 40 Thieves. Yeah. And... She said, well, how do you come up with the inspiration for your movies? And then he starts to tell about how he was feeling a little down. And he bought this 34 Roadster and he was driving just, along. Well, he says and it just popped into it his just head. just popped into his head. And then they cut. Eric's like, ugh. Yeah. And he's like, that wasn't how it happened. So he calls and he, calls he talks the, to the guy. Talks to the guy, yeah. And the guy's like, I don't know who you are. I've never met you. Remember, you, you picked me up hitchhiking. I, I gave you the whole idea for my movie. I've never heard of you. Basically just completely denies the whole thing. So then Eric gets into the uh, the gangster. He dresses up as James Cagney. James Cagney gangster. gangster. With a, complete with a Tommy gun. Yep. And goes and finds him at his, his hair appointment. And just blows him away. Yep. So he's totally flipped over the edge. Oh, yeah. Now. And then he uh, he puts an ad up, like along the beach, flyers on, on you know, posts oh, and stuff right. about it. Wanting somebody that looks like Marilyn Monroe for a photo shoot. Photo shoot, yeah. Da 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 da. He's, I guess, he's rented a space or whatever, and it looks like he's got some set pieces in there. And so she shows up, and apparently she doesn't recognize him. Yeah, this or she's is, just that it's, flighty. It's of course Marilyn that he wanted to date earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So he has a wardrobe for her to dress up like Marilyn from the Prince and the Showgirl or something. Yeah, yeah. Prince and he's and dressed like the prince, and they reenact one of the scenes from the movie. And then does he give her a? A so pill or it's slipper a little, one. it's a little unclear. I I think I may have looked away for a second, but he does pour her a drink, and I he may have slipped her something in the beginning. I'm not positive. Yeah. But later he just but gives later it to her. But later he and she gives takes her it. a pill, and she just willingly takes it. Yeah. I don't know what the pill's supposed but to be, but it drugs her up somehow. A little bit, but she's also very flighty and just goes with it. Before that, yeah, true. She's a little, she's a little off her character. Yeah, for so me I'm not sure what happened there. While they're doing that, the doctor and the cop have tracked him down where he is and they yeah, come in they the door in. and ends up shooting the doctor in the leg and running away with Marilyn and they chase him figure out he's going to Grauman's Chinese Theater. So they track him there and of course he goes in with the Marilyn and she's half drug. He's got a gun and people running out. He ends up going up to the roof and uh, nobody follows him up there though. Yeah, I don't know why nobody follows him. But they're him. outside with the searchlights and he's on the roof and he has this whole long speech with Marilyn and yelling over the roof and a cop jumps the gun and shoots him which to be fair he is waving a handgun around <laughs> and that knocks him down and he sends her downstairs and he gets back up and leans over the thing and the, other, the lieutenant says if he points that gun down here at the crowd you know let him have it I don't know if he does or he, ba- well, he takes so, a bow no, he, yeah he takes a bow and he uses his hand with the gun in it to yeah. like bring it down across his waist to bow mm-hmm. and then as he's bringing his hand back up it looks like the gun yeah. is pointing into the crowd. Oh, yeah, okay. And so, so they shoot him. They shoot him a couple more times, and he falls But he's still down. not dead. Yeah, and he crawls up back up to the edge again, and he says, top of the world, Ma, or whatever. And Yeah, we made it. Yeah, they shoot him again, and then he falls like King Kong to the concrete. Yeah. And the movie ends. And I'll tell you, you know, the ending, I expected him to die, because that's what you expect yeah. for this film, yeah. right? But it was so down. Well, it was a downer ending because this this poor I mean, slob. you have some I sympathy mean, for the guy. Yeah. I mean, yes, he's he's a bit of a slob. He's a bit of a 
I mean, he's not a loser, but he's definitely brought some of this on himself. Yeah. He, well, not all of it. He, he had a psychosis to begin with. Yes. And, and you feel like if he just could have gotten some help. Yeah, but he, it always goes back to his aunt, I think. Mom, aunt. Just screwing him up at home. Oh yeah, he had no she no totally, haven from any thing. No, she his totally home wasn't him up. his place to go. Right. You know? He tried to make his room that way with all the movies and stuff, but on top of that, the outside world, everybody treating him like crap. And then the bright yeah. spot of the girl Marilyn, at first, it looked like hell. You know, they might have a little relationship. She thinks he's kind of cute and is okay, and then she totally forgets about him. Yeah. That day, she forgets about yeah, him. Yeah, that's right. And then. They don't have any contact again till the end. So yeah, it's it's weird, but you do see his. It's not even so much a descent into madness as as much as it is just kind of a nudge, uh, you know, because yeah. he's already kind of in his own world and in and out of reality, right? But he's just extremely socially awkward. You yeah, know? very. I mean, I really enjoyed the way this whole movie played out. There were a couple of moments where I thought. It's dragging just a tiny bit, but only for a minute or two. Yeah, yeah. And then it picked back up again. Yeah. But I, I didn't, I didn't want to stop watching it at all. Yeah. I, yeah, I have to say the only thing that bothered me about it, the pacing, uh, not the pacing, but the stuff in between scenes that mm-hmm. we didn't get, and we don't need whole. I don't need things spoon fed to me. Okay? No, and I don't need big long scenes. It. But there were a few things that could have been said in a sentence that mm-hmm. would have oh okay i get it now yeah or a flyer on the wall saying movie marathon mm. come in costume that's all we needed something like that well they gave it to you after the fact yeah but leading up to that you're like why is he going to night living dead dressed as <laughs> bella Lugosi? and not everybody was dressed up there were a couple people like like dressed like punk rock but that's it's la yeah there was there was one guy like he had a red hood off to the side but you didn't see other people in horror costumes so that didn't kind of that didn't give you that sense you know yeah and there were a couple of other things i'd have to go back and watch it now but in between that they talk about it, you're like oh okay so that happened we didn't get that mm-hmm. you know but it didn't hurt the film no it didn't no, hurt my enjoyment all. of it it just it took a second to go uh, oh okay here's where we are yeah you know i think you just kind of had to accept whatever was happening and then hope that you get an explanation yeah and you did a lot of times but you know it's what but again it was shot beautifully yeah it had that really like i said that gritty you know independent filmmakers Mm -hmm. feel to it but it was didn't feel like a cheap made movie Right. right and the music was fantastic in this thing yeah really was yeah i i enjoyed this a lot I would probably, well, not probably, I will watch it again at some yeah. point. Well, and the title is is great. Well, Fade to Black. That came from the producer, Yablin, also. Mm-hmm. And it you know, and it works on a couple of different levels. It works on when a movie ends or in between scenes, mm-hmm. Fade to Black. Fade to black. Which, it, after each kill, it faded to black. Mm-hmm. And also, his descent or his, his from reality, reality to cold-blooded psychotic killer. Mm-hmm. He fades to black throughout yeah. the movie. So it, right. you know, it works really good. It's a hell of a title. It is indeed. Well, I I liked it. I think you yeah. should watch it. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I know you can rent or buy it on YouTube. I saw that. The Blu-ray is readily available. 
I'm sure there's a disc DVD out there also. I don't know if it's on any streaming services or not other than that. But it's uh, not hard to get. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend it. Two thumbs up. Absolutely. Same here. I guess that's about all we have to say about that. That's about all I got. There's only one thing left to do. We have to prove that the world revolves around Planet of the Apes. We do this at the end of just about every episode to prove the world revolves around Planet of the Apes. We discovered this, uh, Clayton and I, many, many years ago. Kind of like the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, but before that happened, we found this out, that you can connect anything and anyone back to the original Planet of the Apes. Phil is going to give me somebody from this movie, and I will connect them back in as few steps as possible. Okay, well, why don't you first tell me who I'm not going to give you? Because it's a direct connection. (laughs) Okay, you're not going to give me his boss, Norman Burton. There we go. Because he was the hunt leader in the original Planet of the Apes. So there's your direct connection. (laughs) So I think that you should just do Dennis Christopher because he was amazing. Okay, Dennis Christopher, before this movie, he was in a movie called Breaking Away with Jack Earl Haley, Mm -hmm. who was a little kid in the Planet of the Apes TV series. (laughs) (laughs) I had forgotten that. (laughs) As soon as you said his name, I was like, oh, wait. (laughs) Planet Apes, you're welcome. (laughs) Well, damn. (laughs) Okay, I guess that uh, proves that the world does indeed revolve around Planet of the Apes. It does. It does. So go watch all the Planet of the Apes movies or the TV series or the cartoon and all of it, except the modern remakes. And then watch Fade to Black. (laughs) All right. Is that all you got? That's all I got. (laughs) All right. So till next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good night. Good night. I go to a lot of movies. It's my thing. <laughs>